We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And we did our off-season review. Uh, at least most of the Lakers off-season has been wrapped up in last week's episode. We're going to kind of clean up the last bits of that in this pod. And then in the next one, we're going to talk some general NBA, all the moves that happened around the NBA. Uh, but we're going to start with a couple of guys that we did not uh, get into much in last pod. And Darius, there's the the meme from Arrested Development where they're like, they tried it. And did it work out for them? No, it never does. But for us, you know, it just <laughs> might. I probably yes. butchered that. But you get the point, right? That is Cam yes. Reddish, right? And you yep. are a Cam Reddish believer. You were purchasing uh, shares just now in Cam yes. Reddish. Um, I was. And so was. it might work out for us, Darius. It just might. It very well might. So look, I get it, man. Cam didn't do much in Atlanta. He got traded to the Knicks. And basically, Tibbs didn't want to play him at all, which I don't know if that's an indictment on Cam or if it's an indictment on Tibbs or maybe a little bit of both with or their maybe love the GM of like, got to talk to the coach, be like, hey, do you, <laughs> do you want this guy before you trade him? Now he's been in Portland. Portland didn't tender him an offer. They basically just let him go into unrestricted free agency. And now he's on the Lakers for a minimum contract reportedly for two years with a player option on it the second year. I'm still very much intrigued by Cam Reddish as a basketball player and as just an overall talent. I'm a big believer in pedigree. I'm a big believer in the idea of like, when you've shown that you can do something, you always have the ability to do that thing. I heard Draymond Green talking about Ben Simmons the other day, and Draymond was talking about Ben as just like, do you honestly think that this dude is now like no good as a basketball player? This dude was awesome. And now the thing that he's lost is confidence. Maybe Cam was never as good as what he was proclaimed to be, but this dude was the number one high school player in the country. I've heard multiple players in his same class when they get asked, who was the dude? Who was the dude? And they're just like, you know who the dude was? The dude was Cam Reddish. I heard Anthony Edwards say that. I heard RJ Barrett say that. I've heard multiple guys be like, the guy... 
the guy, the guy, the guy, that dude was Cam. I even heard Zion say that. Is this the place where Cam Reddish pops? I don't know. Odds are it's not. But he's got an early believer in me as a guy who can handle the ball, as a guy who can get downhill, who can play into pick and roll, who is an excellent athlete, who has high upside defensively, I think. And this idea of it's a, I think the Lakers are taking a flyer on a guy as, and you said this the last pod, people, that's like a second draft guy who can really pop for this team. And there's a role, I think, for him if he settles in as someone who can basically find his floor and raise it up a little bit more because his ceiling has always been what his ceiling has been. Go back and search Cam Reddish highlights on YouTube and you're going to find some just from last season where he's cooking teams as being a guy who's scoring 28 points on 10 for 15 shooting or something like that. But it's his floor that needs to go up. And I'm super interested in getting him around players like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who were also those guys who were, I'm the best in my class and found their way to actually deliver on the promise of that. And Cam has not yet, but I don't think he's going to find better influences who could potentially get him on that path than the guys that the Lakers have. You just have more shares of Cam Reddish, uh, certainly, than I do, or than most do. I And I'll use one of your terms, Darius. Like, I I kind of need to be shown at this point, right, the, the effectiveness. And for all of the talent that you mentioned and all the pedigree – of course, no one can argue with that, but he has played in 173 NBA games. You know, he started 82. So it's he's been in the league since 2019. So there's, yes, he was young. Yes, the situations weren't great from Atlanta. You already mentioned the New York one. Portland was doing anything but trying to win basketball games once they got him. Uh, and he played 20 games for them, but they, you know, I don't know if they won more than a couple of them. And the rotation was a mess. And so they're, he he definitely is kind of that I could make that argument of of even just last year, like the situation where he was in where the coach wouldn't play him with the Knicks. In a, in, and by the way, I understood why he wouldn't play him because like Tibbs had what the Knicks had worked for the Knicks. And I don't know that Reddish would have fit in in that way. We'll never know. Um and in Portland, just a total disaster. Like he's still young, so there's there's talent there. There there's stuff. I'm just I'm trying not. I'm trying to weigh those 173 games and being on the three different teams more than just like none of those teams figured it out. And some of that's got to be on the player. Um, but that is the kind of swing that I also do like from what the Lakers from where from what the Lakers saw and what they're trying to get. Um, you know, he's not in the rotation for me to start the season. Uh, I think some might have him in there since he was signed, but we already talked about Max Christie last pod. I think Max Christie is a better player right now um, from what I've seen. Maybe that'll change in training camp, you know, but right now, like it's Russell Reeves, LeBron, Vanderbilt Davis, and then Vincent Christie, Hachimura, Prince Hayes. Uh, and Hayes is the spot we also talked about last pod where, you know, that I also need to kind of see how he can fit in with that group, but I at least get it in, hey, 80's not on the floor, like protect the rim, run the floor, we're going to put shooting around you, et cetera. So there's, um, let, let's get Pete to weigh in here on Reddish, uh, and I'm sure he's been, you know, crunching some tape 
as we haven't been recording these last couple of weeks. For sure. No, it's been great to sit with the the team and to be making, you know, a lot of the free agent signing videos and getting more familiarized with guys' games. Um I think that the distinction between Hayes and Reddish is that we, at least as presently constructed, need Hayes. And Reddish is a guy where if, if he works out, that's great. Um, but there are other guys who can do different versions of what he does. I think that one of the stronger arguments for him, and this applies my th- to a lot of role players, is that environment and situation are everything, not just in terms of like he has LeBron and AD, but also like the offense that you're in and the talent that you're around. I... I have a theory, at least, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, D, as a Reddish believer, that Reddish is more of a tall guard than he is a wing. And I think that on this particular roster, that that is the role that he could also fit into that that we need. Because for all of our talk of our skill guards and what Max can be, I think that having a downhill sort of guard, which is what Reddish is, like he attacks the basket a ton, he's a good finisher, can kind of bend and contort around the rim, which is part of the appeal of him, right? But I think having that guy that can put pressure on the rim from the guard spot is something that, as great as it is to have guys that can hit pull-ups and hit threes and space the floor, we have less of that than we've had in the past, also with LeBron getting older too. And so if Reddish is going to fit in, I think what he does is something that is potentially useful for us that we don't really get from our other guys, Mike. This has me thinking a little bit, just starting with starting with Rui Hachimura and what Rui was in Washington which was essentially like an ISO scorer and, you know, mm-hmm. not able to be super efficient. But then you, when you put Rui next to LeBron and AD and the third, the, the third best athlete or the third biggest guy has to get him mm-hmm. like, okay, m- maybe how many guys that have the requisite size and athleticism could you kind of put next to LeBron and AD in that context and get more out of them than what most other teams had not. And how much of that, what does that actually tell us about the guy that does it? You know, versus just tell us more about LeBron and AD and the value that they really have. But um, I, I guess I want to kick that to you then, Darius. Like, how much are you discussing this in the context of just the skills that you see and trying to ignore, you know, 39 career, his field goal percentage, 39.9, 32.2 from three, takes half of his shots from three. No, I think that everything you're saying there, Mike, is like fair. And this is the, this is the full context of the player. Right. And it's one of the reasons why he didn't have his qualifying offer tendered to him and why he was available for the minimum. Right. Could Cam have gotten more than the minimum from some team else? Maybe. But he didn't. And he's on the Lakers now. To Pete's point, that downhill guard ability is going to be super important. The Lakers in swapping out Dennis for Gabe Vincent, that's one of the things that they gave up in swapping out. Russell Westbrook for D'Angelo Russell. That's one of the things that they gave up. They gave up that power downhill player in Russ, and they swapped out that sort of shifty, speedy, like, oh, like I hit the turbo button and now I'm at the basket player in Dennis Schroeder. And Dennis was super valuable for the Lakers in his rim attacking, both in early offense and in the half court when he was declining screens and ripping baseline as often as as he did. That's an important skill. It's duplicative to what LeBron and AD provide, but it's also super useful within the context of if you can still get to the rim when you're playing with LeBron and AD, guess who's going to be there on the weak side to help clean up 
and hold off other help options because they're hesitant to leave in order to contest you at the basket. It's LeBron and AD. And Mike, to speak to your question a little bit more, I am one of the reasons why I am bullish on Reddish is because of the idea that he it's it's not in a vacuum. I'm not thinking about how his skill set is just like, oh, well, you were the top high school player in your class. Yeah. You're going to be good somewhere. It's just like, no, you don't have to be good anywhere. What you have to be is good in the environment that you're actually asked to play in. When he went to the Hawks, the Hawks were a team that already had a bunch of talent. Cam fell in the draft and it was just like, okay, well, we're getting to the point in the draft where you kind of have to take the dude who was the number one player in his class and showed some things at Duke, but ultimately fell behind Zion, who went number one overall, and RJ Barrett, who was great in his own right. And so Cam got slotted appropriately and he really didn't find his niche there. He goes to the Knicks, we talked about that, and then he goes to Portland There are no sort of expectations here with the Lakers, but he can apply his game in a way that I think is most beneficial to him. Does that mean he's going to succeed at it? I, I have no clue, honestly. Like, I'm hopeful, though, because... I come from that Al Davis and Bill Parcells school of thought, which is basically like, yeah, someone thought really highly of you at some point in your career. And it wasn't just one person. This is like consensus amongst basketball people. And the talent is obvious. Yeah. And so what's it going to look like if he's playing next to Anthony Davis and LeBron or Anthony Davis and Rui? And then the guards are like Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell. And it's sort of just like, okay, who is left to guard Cam Reddish? Do we even care who is guarding Cam Reddish? Because <laughs> these other resources need attention. Yeah, for sure. The, my, the, to wrap up the Reddish thought, and, and this is more, this is a little bit more devil's advocate. And I like, I haven't, I've watched him on League Pass. I have not watched him enough, right, to, to be ha- declaring this as, as gospel. But Sometimes when you get that type of talent and especially somebody who has that kind of size and athleticism and they're dominating the youth ranks, like where that can hit a wall is, is basketball is like Mm -hmm. just playing the game against better competition, bigger competition. We see this all the time with high lottery picks and that I don't know yet that that's what it is for Reddish. It may be the situation. It may be all the things that Darius just talked about, but that's kind of the, the, and same thing with Jackson Hayes, like to an extent, like with the, with the size, the, the, athleticism, the pedigree, all that, um, you know, how, how does that compare to where Austin Reeves and Gabe Vincent got as guys without all of the accolades and the pedigree who just were like really damn good at basketball right? and just figured out how to play basketball um, in, in the ways that was going to help almost any team um, because of what the, what their sort of understanding of the game was. And could they be connectors and uniters and just figure out a way to make their team good as opposed to more of like a, um, an attack player. And that's the part of that I haven't seen on league pass, right. From Reddish yet. Maybe there's more of that there, but that, that to me could be part of what that gap is. No, I, that's certainly part of what that gap is. I just, I think there's some opportunity in the same idea we had with Rui when we traded for him of like, I mean, you could conceivably put a lineup out there of one of our guards, pick one of our skill guards, and then like Reddish at the two, Rui at the three, LeBron and AD. And that's just a ton of athlete, you know? And so that whole 
thing that Rui enjoyed of, you know, you kind of run out of guys. I think that's possible with Reddish. Now, do we need to be constructing lineups around Cam Reddish? Absolutely not. And is he going to have to do what he does within what we do? And we haven't even talked about the defensive end, which he has some uh, like length and ability in ways that our other players don't have as well. Certainly not. But I, I think to Darius's point, like there's an opportunity there, right? And there's a need kind of for what he does. The idea of Reddish is like sort of filling in and at some point it just can click for a guy. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case for him. I'm not buying high with him. I just sort of see this as a real chance for a player to sort of get into a position where the same sort of thing that we thought about like Lonnie Walker, for example, where it's just like, that's who I see him replacing. That's exactly the guy. Yep. Right. Where it's just like, okay, you can do some things with the ball. You can create your shot a little bit. You can get downhill. You can be an athlete on both sides of the floor. And those things work fairly well and sometimes really well when the rest of the roster is just like, oh, well, there's LeBron James and there's Anthony Davis and here's a little bit of Rui Hachimura. And it's just like, okay, now you end up with like, to go back to that game four where Lonnie had a really big game in the second round against the Warriors where it's just like, yeah, guess who has to guard him? It's Steph Curry now, right? Because you've run out of guys at that point. And again, I'm not slotting Cam into a position where Lonnie started for yeah, most no, of the year before the trades. Than Cam, yeah, as I believe. This is way more of a flyer. I'm just saying that I just come from this idea of like, oh, you were a guy who had all of this promise and the sort of polishes has now been like worn off a little bit. But let's put you under the wing of a couple of guys who were just like you. And let's see if you can elevate who are also too like represented by the same agency sure. and everything else. Like they've been around this that guy. Stuff matters, yeah. And, Right. So I'm just interested in the idea a little bit more. But let's go to break here, though, because we've got another wing that I'd like to talk about a little bit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mike, Torian Prince, you're a Wolves guy, watched a ton of the Timberwolves. I'd love to get your sort of um, first view experience of Torian Prince and what you think about him as a wing for the Lakers as like a three and D option. Yeah, I I like Prince. Uh, I think he's a, a totally viable wing rotation player. And on certain teams, he can start, uh, but on almost every team, he's the kind of guy who, you know, you're going to you're gonna find at least in that 10-man, you know. And then once you get to the playoffs, a lot of teams, I think he'd be in the eight. So he's he's just sort of plays the game and, and like, kind of makes the, makes the kind of the simple choice and, like, he'll get the ball. He likes to attack. Um, the ball's going up a lot uh, from three when he gets it. He'll rebound. He'll play hard. Um, he's a good teammate. Like, people like him. You know, I, I don't know that he's going to be out there with, like, LeBron and, and D'Lo and Austin in, in the way and, and necessarily, like, interchanging uh, where they're at and, like, what you had talked about last pod. I, I think that he's more of a – of a has embraced his role um, in what he does and, and, and does that pretty well. And so, you know, last year for the Timberwolves, he was right about, like, about plus one – uh, in the regular season, like, again, just steady, just solid. He's a career around 38%, um, I believe, from three. And so I just think that he's a little bit more a little bit more confident with his shot than Troy Brown got, like, like was in the playoff perspective and is going to get guarded a little more. And he's got a little bit more bulk um, to, a, to his frame uh, in the way that he's going to defend. And, you know, I think you could play some small ball four, uh, with him, you could just have him as as the three as well. So that to me is a, is the kind of guy that doesn't usually in this in the current NBA that doesn't usually like get let go. Or, like the Timberwolves ended up going in a different direction, and he seems like a player. I know he was on Brooklyn, but sh- that should be on Brooklyn. Who just sort of okay? I'll, let me get that bigger wing. Let me get that guy. Let me get the Royce O'Neals and um and, you know mm-hmm. Camp Johnson, the younger version of it, and those types. So. Yeah, I, I liked where the Lakers were going with that. And when I was watching the Wolves, I was I typically was not thinking, um, what is Torian Prince doing? You know, it's more like, oh, yeah, Torian Prince is out there and, and he's doing fine. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way of, <laughs> of framing the, his addition, right? Uh, while watching the playoffs, guys, one of the things that stood out to me was that Troy Brown Jr. not being able to to shoot in particular in those settings hurt the team in the context of, you would go from Austin to the next biggest guy that you were playing was Rui. And there is a lot of, there's a big hole in the fence right there in terms of how big of an athlete is in between those two players. And Troy was normally slotting into that spot over the course of the regular season. But in both of Troy's uh, postseasons that he's been in, he shot sub 20% from three. And as you watched him shoot those, I, like there's a reason he got pulled from the lineup. It was obvious that like it was 
just a little faster for him. And Prince is a much more reliable jump shooter in ways where he's one of those guys that I think changes how teams defend us. Vincent, you can throw him in this same respect in that teams, Darius, the last few years really packed the paint against us and, you know, are going to be reliant upon, okay, we're going to close out hard and make an Alex Caruso or a, uh, you know, Patrick Beverly, Dennis Schroeder type of guard, make them sidestep right and shoot a three rather than get a comfortable catch and shoot three and we'll live with the results if you give the types of shots that those players were getting to a Gabe Vincent and a Torian Prince they're going to shoot very well on those that's why they're in the NBA and that's why like that whole idea of improving the jump shooting on the team without sacrificing a ton on the defensive end I think is was really important I think the Lakers did that with those two signings the one thing I would point out is I I don't think he's as much a small ball four because he's not a good rebounder and so and but that said on this particular team I think we've got enough guys that can do that um that I don't think it'll be as big of an issue and so having taller type of threes I think is really helpful in this circumstance especially if they can shoot jump shots I'm a firm believer in everything that you just said Pete particularly around him not being a four. Like, I think he needs to be, I think he's a combo forward, but he needs to be next to another combo forward who sort of does other things differently Mm -hmm. than him, right? And so when Prince was on the floor with Kyle Anderson, for example, the Wolves were plus 6.7, right? And that's going to account for a lot of different lineup types. But if Prince is in the game and Kyle Anderson's in the game, odds are is there's not two other bigs that are in the game too, right? Because Minnesota played a ton of different big guy options. So I'm looking for Prince to slot in next to potentially Rui and AD or LeBron and Jackson Hayes and be another capable forward who can defend and take a perimeter option, either who's a stretch four or like not a high-level wing, but he will compete on that end of the floor against high-level wings and and just sort of be like, I'm going to do my job, Mike, and be a solid defensive So player. let me just jump in quickly because Prince is definitely a wing. Like, he's not a four. But when where the whole NBA has downsized to the degree that like, I think about it now and, like, can you hang in certain lineups enough, like, with a body sure. if you need to get some more of the shooting? Uh, and, again, I don't typically like downsizing like that. But you can do it if LeBron is then playing, like I'm thinking about Denver, right? Like if LeBron's playing, Denver's a tougher team to do it against uh, in that context if it's Jokic and Aaron Gordon uh, and Michael Porter Jr. But then you can do it because Torian Prince can guard Michael Porter Jr. And then LeBron in that sense is on Aaron Gordon and AD is on Jokic. Like it's, so it's not yeah. – if LeBron and AD allow you to, to do that, whereas like as we think about LeBron as a three, but like well, – because he's more of a big in some ways defensively, but yes, like like Prince is definitely more of a of, of a wing who just sort of in a pinch could play for, but is not. You're right, Pete. He's not a good rebounder. And by the way, neither is Gabe Vincent. That's right. Vincent is. That's one thing I think we have to kind of acknowledge about Vincent. That's right. He is uh, rebounding is not his. He's not one of those guards that cracks down and you know grabs a bunch of boards. And so that is that's that one area of cons- one of I guess a few areas of concerns and Prince doesn't necessarily mitigate that too much like he's okay but he's not a plus rebounding wing 
that's one of the things I want to avoid this year, Mike. So playing AD exclusively at the five downsizes you a bit. And for obvious reasons, the focus of the conversation of like sizing up has been at the five spot, right? Mm-hmm. Of getting a, a bigger physical type of guy that I think we still want that type of player. But it's I think you run into problems where you're also small at other positions. And that's one of the things that I come out of this offseason with is that we're so we're bigger in uh, in certain lineups, but there are ways that I think play toward Darwin's proclivities <laughs> where I could see us having lineups where we're not very good at rebounding, even with sizing up on, on the roster D. And so, yeah, Prince and who he plays alongside, I think if he's playing alongside AD, yeah, you could probably get away with him at the four. It's sometimes I think the Golden State might be a team where you do that against, but again, they're a good offensive rebounding team. You got to be able to contribute on the boards, right? And so I, that's just one of the factors I think comes into play with Prince is that I think amidst our whole roster, I I have some concerns about our rebounding. Yeah, and I think that that's fair. And we're just going to have to see how LeBron and AD and I think Rui especially are as rebounders defensively Mm -hmm. in some of these lineups. It's funny that you talk about Prince and rebounding because one of his famous clips was when he was still at Baylor. That's right. That was him. Yeah. Yeah. And he talked about his team getting out rebounded in one of the great sort of like full on snarky, but not with a bad attitude quotes that he gave to a reporter where he explained rebounding. But I look at Prince as a guy who is going to give you he's like the other side of the coin to Vando to me. Right. And so like, like, and Vando's a guy who we haven't mentioned his name once over the course of two offseason pods. The Lakers had a decision on Vando, I believe, to guarantee his contract and make sure that he was still going to be in the mix. And he's coming back. And Vando started pretty much like the entire regular season. Once once he was acquired, Um, he had real utility in the first round against Memphis, and then his utility started to decline in the playoffs against both the Warriors and then against the Nuggets, where by the end of the Nuggets series, he was barely playing at all. But Vando, to me, still has value as like an on-ball defensive player. And this is where I kind of want to pivot some of our conversation, too, because you talked about size and how it might impact rebounding. But one of the things in sizing up that you could do a little bit more of is switch defensively. And I'm intrigued by the Lakers being potentially more of a switch team. Now, they're not going to do it all of the time. They've got Anthony Davis. He's going to he's a brilliant drop defensive player. I think Jackson Hayes has played a ton of drop coverage as well. But Jackson Hayes is one of those guys. Yeah, he can who, switch a little. Yeah, he can move his feet. And in fact, we played him at like the three a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was saying, too, with the Pelicans is they yeah. got they had so many bigs that they were playing some pretty unusual lineups. I looked at his two-man lineup date, uh, and the top three or four combinations were all combinations that made sense, right? So it's like, oh, here he is. Most minutes played next to Trey Murphy and Jose Alvarado and all this, this, that, and the other. You go down to his fifth and sixth most paired guys, though, and it's Valanchunas, and it's Larry Nance, and it's even um, Hernan Gomez. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, damn. You were, <laughs> you were playing power forward? Yes. In these lineups as a guy who doesn't shoot it, really, right? And, and here's the it, thing, too, with him, though, D, is he's like, an, he's not as good of a rim protector and shot blocker as you would expect for a guy who can, like, who's a top of the square type of athlete. So, yes. like, some Pelicans fans will say, like, he's better defensively at the four than he is at the five. 
Yeah, well, part of that is probably because he's got mobility. A, a guy who I would compare him to coming out of college and probably who never developed into this sort of player in the pros because he thought he was a small forward too and wanted to shoot the ball a ton is Willie Cauley-Stein. So if you remember <laughs> Willie Cauley-Stein yeah. at Kentucky, he was a guy who really – yeah, it's, it's more of that his feet. It's not JaVale McGee. You know, like that's not – it's more Cauley-Stein. Yo, yeah. that's right. And so what you want – I think the Lakers – in Prince and potentially Hayes, in Reddish, right? Even Gabe Vincent to a certain amount who like will put his nose in there and will stand up to bigger players and has like more just physicality to him than Dennis Schroeder, even though Dennis really competed in that way too, is that like the Lakers could have defensive lineups, I think, where they're switching a little bit more. And so I wanted to kick that idea to both of you as, as a concept because Darwin comes from the Budenholzer tree and famously Bud did not break through as a championship coach until he adopted more switching defensively. And I'm super intrigued by the idea of him folding that into the defensive playbook a little bit more now that he does have some continuity with with the group and starts to figure things out. But that does play against type to what we saw a little bit. And so I'm just throwing the idea out there to both of you, because I think this defensive personnel can do it a little bit more than last year's team could. Yeah, that's a so what scheme you know how much they use different schemes. Uh, while I'm certainly interested in it, I'm still I'm still trying to think about the roster, and because before you come up with a scheme, you have to know who you're playing and like what guys you want to get to. And the thing that I that I would have pause about when I look at it is with LeBron and AD and and all of the asks that are on them. How much of the sort of defense and rebounding, you know the gritty type things do you need to have them do because of all of this skill um, that is there. And, and at times I thought that it ended up obviously working out well, but it was a, it was a big ask on LeBron and AD in the postseason. And now going to a regular season, how much of this, how much of all of the skill that they're going to have now, how much of that sort of just makes the offense better and maybe the defense drops a little bit. Uh, from last year, but the net rating overall is up, you know, and and then they can shift into more of that defensive first um, team. Not that they're not going to want to be that in the regular season, but like once the postseason comes, because that's just a lot to, especially on Davis, but then LeBron in year 21, and that's its own podcast. And they, the players that they bring in, I thought all make sense for various reasons, but, you know, maybe with the exception of, you know, like Torian Prince doesn't really change things on that way. It makes Vanderbilt to me much more important and almost like has to start and be on the court a lot um, in the regular season because he does do those things, even though he's not a great rebounder in some ways, like he's great in the offensive glass. He's not the best defensive rebounder in with size, but like just the, the raw, just the athleticism and kind of the pop that he has, I feel like is important to put around LeBron and AD and that's where I what when Pete hinted at that like lineup with a Cam Reddish at the two, or this is especially why I think Max Christie is so important. It can't just be yep. all the like, hey, three skill guys go out to LeBron and AD and expect LeBron and AD to get back in transition in Detroit in yep. January. 
Like, no, they're going to go get every rebound. In yep. the, in the, we, we haven't gotten to, we've been chomping at the bit. I know to look around all the other moves in the league and see where it has the Lakers in context. But do you know how many teams there are that just have a bunch of young athletes uh, and, and like are not easy wins anymore, especially in the West, mm-hmm. like Houston ain't no easy win going down there now, like with all the young talent and pop they have and bringing in Brooks and Van Vliet, even if I think their ceiling is lower, you know, like that, all of a sudden, San Antonio's got Wenbenyama and some other players. Like their OKC is going to be the exact type of team that's going to be difficult for the Lakers to beat in the regular season with all the athleticism and strength and pop. So I just that's the area of the roster, Pete, that I um, I kind of have have pause about uh, and and think that like there's almost that one bigger type piece that can play both yep. ends um, is is going to be necessary at some point. That's why, yeah, I think. Our work isn't done with the roster, um, and we are hard capped, which is something that will factor in uh, come come the trade deadline. But I, there's a certain paradox that comes with Vanderbilt, where he is that big physical athlete defensively. That for a three, he's an excellent rebounder, right? If you've got him and LeBron and AD, but. If you are going, again, more toward a lot of Darwin's proclivities, we had a lot of three-guard lineups last year, right? I think that it, we can get into dangerous places where it is it is asking too much out of LeBron and AD yeah. to do the physical, dirty work type of stuff, which is exactly why I think our approach to the three position is really where all of this pivots. Because we have these skill guards that we really like, but that aren't going to help a ton in the aspects of physicality in the game. And in fact, probably have to be covered for a little bit. And that same thing was true last year. And just like I thought with the DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Jordan starting uh, at the beginning of two years ago, we started completely the opposite of what we needed that position to do. Of uh, that was Patrick Beverly at six one six two at a position where we actually needed somebody to pick up the slack on the size and physicality and athleticism, right? And Vando came in and really filled a lot of that. However, he comes with complications in the playoffs in which that's I I call this the Vando paradox, right? Where if you're going to have two skill guards in the backcourt D of Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, who's the guy that you're putting on their main offensive player? It could be Austin Reeves, but are you asking him to then lead your offense too while guarding the other team's best player as what you see what I'm saying? And so Vando in that context makes a lot of sense. But once you get to the playoffs that he really complicates lineups right and so just to i don't know if we're on the same page here with but i'm not worried about the playoffs yet in that context like it's Uh more like setting this is like the 82 setting you up for the best possible seating and load and then but but of course like then things that do have to switch up once you get to that kind of second season but like Right. So, yeah, so it's kind of two different thoughts that you have to have. Like, yeah, I get it. There are going to be limitations there. But to get through the regular season, you know, and to get this team where it needs to go, that's that's to me a, a kind of a different conversation. I'm totally with you on that. But does it make it harder to succeed in the playoffs if you go with one lineup all year and one group of five that you're all used to playing? And then come playoff time, you've got to switch it up with a group that you haven't played as much. Usually, yes, I'd say less so a little bit with year 21 LeBron. Like it, it just, it has to be a different thing. And, and LeBron is the kind of, LeBron can kind of paper over whatever the lack of that, that amount of continuity is with where he's going to take his game versus just getting him or helping him get to that, not the finish line, but the start of the real race. 
I, I think that it's one and the same, though, in terms of the needs around him in the respect that, like, of course, is he going to pick up his game in the playoffs? Yes. And you need somebody to help get you there. But I think you need somebody with size to help get you there. And like, can that group have enough reps coming into the playoffs or do you have to switch it up because it's like, oh, it's playoff time and now Vando doesn't fit so well. And so like Yoban D has been reporting that Rui is in the mix to start in Vando's spot, which I think is super interesting. And I think that if you do that, then Gabe Vincent may be the guy that you go to as a point of attack defender. And then does Dilo come off of the bench? I don't expect us to go that route. Um, but defensively, you wanted to take this in that direction. And I think that like what happens with Vando, there's a, a chain reaction effect on the rest of the roster. And so, yeah, what we do with him, I think is going to matter a lot. It definitely is. It's very early. I'm very much in line with Vanderbilt continuing to start and Rui coming off of the bench. Okay. I think the Lakers should carry forward their same starting lineup. I think that part of the playoff discussion, which is this is just further down the line, the value that Vanderbilt has, this is a help me help you. And this is two hands shaking. Vando is the defensive hand shaking the offensive hand of LeBron and AD. So look, I'm going to do all the stuff that you need me to do. I'm going to play my ass off defensively. I'm going to chase around whoever you want me to chase around. If that's John Morant one night and it's, and it's Brandon Ingram the next night and it's Devin Booker the next night, guess what? I'm up for all of it. Mm-hmm. You know how you know? Because it's on tape. Yep. And that's super Last valuable, year. man. It's hard to find guys who can do that. But guess what? In order for me to do that stuff, I need y'all to hit some jump shots. <laughs> yes. And the coaches need to encourage those guys to be hitting their jump shots too, particularly in Davis. Like LeBron plays everywhere and he's going to take a requisite amount of threes. AD's role shifted so much more towards like occupying defenders around the paint as often as possible. And I'm not saying that's all coaching influence, but part of that is the coaches basically telling him like, you're going to occupy these these guys. And because you do that, we're going to get good good shots. But AD's going to need to rediscover the jump shot in, in his game. He's going to need to do it for the potential of two big lineups and he's going to do it and he's going to have to do it in order to aid in the idea that the collective level of jump shooting across the roster, he's a part of that being to the level it needs to be in order to win a championship. The Lakers won a championship because AD was a high level jump shooter. Even if he doesn't get back to that same level, he's going to have to, even if it's just to help guys like Vanderbilt, who the Lakers are going to need to play because he's an expert at the thing that he does well. Right. And so when I'm talking about building out lineups, a part of that is, well, no, you're not going to bury Vanderbilt to put more usage into a lineup where we're already talking about fluctuating the usage around like Austin taking on more and Mm -hmm. D'Lo like and then LeBron and AD and like what we're going to throw in Rui here. Like just to be like what? Because you pay Rui a lot of money. like, what are we doing? I totally agree with that. And I think it's it's also just in, in like a team building sense. You're you're just getting more out of everybody, I think. If you have like Vanderbilt, this is your focus. Guard the best player on a given regular season night. Like, do that. Do all the other things. And then Rui is going to come in, probably going to finish the game. You know, so there's, a, there's like a utility to that. And then you have the – I'm glad you mentioned usage, like – one of the things that makes Rui that made him special as a fit is that whether or not he, you just start him right away with LeBron and AD, or if he's coming in off the bench, one of them is still on the court. And then one of the other team's best 
athletes is on the bench resting. And so he's, as long as you have LeBron and AD, there's, there's, they're never going to have the right matchup for Rui Hachimura. And to me, that's, that's best sort of suited the way that they used him for the majority of last year. And again, especially because we want more Austin and at least, you know, Russell, if he, if he does start, which I still think that he probably would, or when Vincent checks in, it just, those guys can do so much offensively that I would rather lean towards that, that connective energetic uh, regular season piece. But I'm, I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time on this particular topic uh, as the, as yes. the summer goes on as then once the preseason starts in only three months. That's right. And we got, we got summer league, lots of fun stuff as the 2024 season is born. So we'll be back. Like I said, uh, on the last pod to, a uh, little more frequently will be about twice a week uh, for the time being. Next one is going to be on all the crazy moves that happened around the rest of the NBA. Been looking forward to that. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.